0: This morning we want to focus our attention here on Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 through 8. I'd like to talk to you just for a few moments this morning about seeing God. I'd like for you to notice here beginning in verse 1 that uh, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood Seraphim, and each one had six wings. With two he covered his eyes, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory." Now I want you to notice it says, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Father, we thank you for the reading of your Word. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in truth and spirit. Just pray that you speak to our hearts this morning, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' sweet and matchless name. Amen. This morning as we uh, direct our attention to Isaiah chapter 6, I want you to notice that Isaiah had a vision of the Lord. A vision, just a simple definition, is a sight that is presented to the mind through a dream or some non-objective stimulus like this. Isaiah's vision was threefold. First of all, he looked up and he saw the Lord. Second, he looked in and he saw himself. And then third, he looked out and he saw others. Now, uh, this is exactly what uh, your pastor is seeking to do. As I uh, read the letter, and as he talked to me about coming and and uh, supplying uh, these uh, two weeks for him, uh, one of the things that he mentioned was, as Jeff shared this morning, that he is on a vision trip. He is seeking to experience. The very thing that Isaiah experienced, though Isaiah may not have been pursuing it in the same way that your pastor is, but he's on a vision trip. And he's seeking to have this same experience that he can look up and see the Lord. He can look in and he can see himself and he can look out and he can see others. He can see the community in which uh, you serve like this. Um, uh, the best spiritual definition for a vision I know of uh, is J.B. Phillips' paraphrase of Paul's prayer in Colossians where he says, And I pray you see things from God's point of view. I pray you see things from God's point of view. In other words, that we view circumstances from God's perspective. And that's exactly what Pastor Robbie is trying to do. He wants to see things from God's point of view. He wants to be able to view things from God's perspective. Aubrey Malthus defines vision for a church as, quote, a clear and challenging picture of the future as its leadership believes it can and must be. Kushner and Postner states that the leader's job is to keep the projector focused. And that's exactly what Pastor Robbie is doing. In uh, the church planners, when they come, they uh, take part in what we call basic training. And one of the units that we study in that two day, three day period of time. Uh, There's about 15 of those units and one of those is on vision. Some pastors come or planners come and they have already thought through that. Others have not. And so they've got an opportunity to either begin to work on that or to begin to refine the vision that God has given to them, not only personally, but for the plant that they are about to be involved with. And so it's not that Robbie has not had vision for this church or it would not be where it is today. You see... Vision is given to a person. It's not given to a group. You can search the Word of God and you'll see that God always gives the vision to an individual and then that individual is to cast that vision to the people and that's exactly what Pastor Robbie's been doing over these past seven years that God laid a vision on His heart to come and to start a church and He has cast that to you and you have accepted that and it's been a great journey but now He wants to kind of adjust the projector. You see, sometimes when the projector gets out of, uh, you know, off a little bit, things get a little fuzzy, don't they? And you can get in the work of God, and you begin, uh, just get so busy that the projector kind of gets fuzzy and you can't see as clearly and he's wanting to see clearly as stated here uh, from God's point of view. Someone said that vision is critical if you're going on a journey and you're taking a group of people with you and that's exactly what the pastor, the planner does. Visioning is not that important if you're just out for a walk. And I want you to know we're not just out for a walk. This morning, we too may see the Lord. You see, it's not only important for the planter, the pastor, to have a vision that God has given them. But it's important for you and for me as God's children to have a vision that God has for our life. What will the preferred future look like for you and for me? And so we too can see the Lord. We may see God first of all through Christ. We can see Him through faith through the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through nature. Life takes on a whole new outlook as we see the Lord. That's exactly what happened in the life of Isaiah. You read this scripture, and then you go on and look at the life of Isaiah. Isaiah was never the same after he saw the Lord. There will be several things. I want to share three or four things with you this morning. In verses 1 through 4 that we read here, the first thing... Is a comprehension. It says that he looked up and he saw the Lord. He had a comprehension of who God was. God revealed himself. Now the time of the vision that Isaiah uh, here is important because he was looking back uh, on the experience uh, and it says in the year that King Uzziah died. You see when things happen, when there's a tragedy, when there are circumstances that, that are out of our control comes our way, uh, when earth's idols die, we have an opportunity to see God. The young prince had had made the great king his idol. But when the life of the king ended in disgrace and in disease and in defeat, he saw God. But don't you notice the second thing? Who Isaiah saw in the vision was significant. He saw God both above and And in this world. You see, the throne where the Lord is seated, it says, is high and exalted. And it represents His eternal, sovereign, and universal rule. He is above all other kings. There's no king like Him. But at the same time, He's concerned with the welfare of His people. He's just not out in space somewhere. He's not out there at a great distance that's out of touch with us. But He is not only in heaven, but He is here on earth concerned with you and concerned with me and our well-being. The theologians call this transcendence. You see, our vision of God can be clearer because we have seen the glory of God in Jesus Christ, His Son. We find that God in heaven is God above us. God in nature is God around us. But God in Christ is God in us and God for us. Though He may be in heaven, I want you to know He's right here with us this morning. I hope you sense His presence. I hope you have sensed already the opportunity to, 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 to sense God with you this morning. But notice, when he saw God, he saw one of His attributes. God has many attributes, but the attribute that he saw here was His holiness. To say the word holy twice in Hebrew is to describe one as most holy. Uh, To say the word holy three times intensifies the idea uh, to its highest level. In other words, the holiness of God is indescribable in human terms. Folks, I can tell you that God's holy. We can read in God's Word that God is holy. But I cannot paint that picture for you. I cannot help you to comprehend. I cannot comprehend the holiness of God, you see, because there is no sin in God. There is no darkness in God. The things that are a part of my life and that in, and in your life, you see, we, we just can't comprehend uh, living life without sin or being having darkness in our life and, and things that are contrary to what God not, does not know. Holiness conveys God's supreme moral excellence. The word holy carries the idea of separation and exaltation. You see, God's holiness means that He is separate and He is different from the things that He created. And so many times people want to bring God down to their level. They want to uh, look at and talk to Him in, in human terms as He is, is another human being. God is so much more than His creation. Yes, Je- Jesus did come in the flesh and He walked among us. But I want you to know He is holy and that He is above what He has created. Holiness is a description that all God is and does. Holiness uh, is the very essence of God's being. It is God Himself. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, we read that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. I mean, there's no darkness at all. Whenever God made Himself known through vision or through personal appearances, the one thing that stood out the most was His holiness." Over in the book of Exodus, we read in chapter 3 here about the experience that Moses had at the burning bush. It says that Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and they led the flock to the back of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will turn aside. And I'll see this great sight, why this bush does not burn. And so when the Lord saw that He had turned aside to look, listen to what He says. God called to Him from the midst of that bush, and He said, Moses, Moses, and He said, Here am I. Then He said, Do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And we need to understand, not only there, but in Revelation 4, 8 it says, And the four beasts, and each of them having six wings, just like in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest day and night, not uh, day and night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was, and which is, and which is to come. And we see the account that we have in Isaiah 6. Because God is holy, He demands holiness on the part of His people. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, we read, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourself, any creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Folks, we need to have a fresh vision of the holiness of God because we live in a day of permissiveness which tends to deny the awfulness of sin. When I was growing up as a little boy and uh, as a young person like this, I want you to know that that there were just things we didn't do. Well, first of all, uh, stores weren't open on Sunday. There was a blue law. I mean, you just couldn't buy certain things on Sunday, you know. And uh, you just didn't go shoot poo. You know, that was a bad thing. You know, you didn't go to the pool. I, I mean, things today we wouldn't even consider, you know. We, but, boy, it was sin, you know. But we live in a day now where we hear and see uh, so much on TV and, and over the Internet and everything. There's not hardly anything that shocks us anymore. I mean, we just accept it. And we don't even think how awful it is. I mean, we've just kind of become numb to it. It's been like we've been inoculated and, you know, we're just kind of, you know, just, just, oh, it's just another occurrence in life. No, it's not. I want you to know that we're on a slippery slope (laughs) and we're headed down fast as far as the things that go on around us. You see that our view of the necessity of Christ's death for sin will largely depend upon our view of God's holiness. Light views of sin and the atonement will result in a light view of God's holiness. Many times folks just think of God and they refer to Him as some old grandfather sitting in a rocking chair there in heaven. You know, the man upstairs... Folks, there's no place for that kind of language. There's no place for that kind of attitude toward toward God the Father, toward God the Son, who, who died on the cross and shed His precious blood in order that you and I might be saved and that we might have eternal life. We need to have a fresh glimpse of the holiness of God. We need to look up and see the Lord in His temple and He is high and He is lifted up. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of His glory. You see, a proper comprehension of God's holiness and who God is leads us to confession. Look in verse 5 as we look back at our text here. He said, And so I said, Whoa! Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see, when he looked up and he saw God, it caused him to look in and to see himself. After Isaiah looked up and he saw God in all of his holiness, he looked in and saw himself as a sinner. He said, for I am undone, and I have become as a man of unclean lips. When is the last time that you stopped long enough to really take an inventory of your life. How long has it been since you have had a spiritual checkup? I mean, a thorough examination. My father owned a grocery store, a little country grocery store when I was growing up, and once a year, they would do an inventory. I mean... And, I mean, you go in Walmart and these places, they've got the, you know, electronic stuff, and they're walking along, scanning everything. No, no, this had to be done by hand, and you had to count everything. And once a year, they had to do that inventory, thoroughly, thorough inventory of all their stock. And when's the last time you had a, a I mean, a thorough checkup? Most men, I mean, we're, we're pretty much, you know, we're hard-headed. <laughs> and uh, when has your wife said, you need to go in, and you need to have a physical, you need to have a check. now. And I did that for, I went from the time I was appointed to about 12, 14 years (laughs) before. I finally went to the doctor. I've just been blessed with health and not been able, not having to go like that. And my wife finally read the fine print in the insurance. See, I, I was saying we couldn't afford it and stuff, and it said, that this is paid for in full once a year. <laughs> so last year I had to go in for that checkup. Not not where you go in and they just do your blood pressure and you you know they, they they check your temperature and they put you on the scales and weigh you. But no man, I mean I mean where they really check you out, you know. And and uh, I mean they'd really check you out and, and 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 to the point that they they put me on this treadmill and I told the guy I said I jog, you know. And so here's the doctor and the nurse and they were sitting there about five minutes like. Look, I told you, I jog and say, so, okay. So he cranked that baby up and put it on a slope. Now, okay, okay, you know, you got it up, okay. But, yeah, I'm talking about where you really, really have an examination. How many of us, you see, we get so busy. How many of us pull away and we really allow God to do an inventory or thorough examination spiritually of our soul? To help God, to uh, God, allow God to help us to to look in and, and to see who we really are. You see, when Isaiah looked up, it produced a sense of unworthiness. Here the prophet acts very much like Job and John did when they saw God in His holiness crying unclean. Job maintained his integrity until he saw the Lord, and then he was ready to say, I abhor myself, and I repent. John in Revelation chapter 1 says, I, John, who am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the owl that is called Patmos for the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I hope you're in the Spirit this morning. On the Lord's day, it's a good thing to do, and we should. And heard behind me a great voice as of trumpet. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, as dead. Now listen, folks, this is John. This is John who has who been uh, you know, exiled because of his testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is John, one of the great, great uh, uh, men of God, and yet when he saw him, what did he do? He didn't say, oh, I'm John, it's good to meet you. No, man, he fell down as if he was dead. You see, when we look up and we see the Lord in all of His glory and in His holiness, it produces a sense of unworthiness. Many times we have an exaggerated opinion of ourselves. You know, pride comes in and boy, we get built up. And man, when we compare ourselves to Jesus, it's one thing to compare yourself to another believer. But when you see Jesus, when you compare yourself to Him, it should produce a sense of unworthiness. It should cause us to say, Whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, Peter, when uh, there at the drought of the fishes, Peter and his buddies had been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. And, and Jesus comes and on the shore and He said, Cast your net on the other side. And they cast the net on the other side. Now, you know, Peter said, right, okay, I'm a fisher betrayed, and you're a carpenter and we've been out here all night and we had not caught anything. But because you're Jesus, I'll do what you say. And they started to lift up the nets to the extent that it almost broke them. And, <laughs> and he called the other boat over and said, hey, help us. we got some got so many fish here. We can't get these things out. And uh, when Peter saw it, it says he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. You see, he saw himself. Once he saw Jesus, he saw himself. And he said, I'm a sinful man. You see, when you see the Lord and you see our, we see ourselves, we realize just how unclean and sinful we really are. Isaiah put it like this, but we're all as unclean things. And our, un, our righteousness are as filthy rags. Not only was he able to see himself, but folks, we're able to see those around us. You see it says, and he saw those around him. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Not only do we able, are we able to see ourselves, but we're able to see things around us just like they are. Many times we have on blinders or we so uh, we have tunnel vision where we, we only look at the things that we want to look at and we just kind of block out all of the sin and awfulness around us like this. Uh, but he saw uh, both societal and personal sin. We sin not only as a person but as a society. But when we see God, we see sin as it really is, that it is filth which we had previously condoned or even participated in you see we've all been there we've all been uh, contaminated by it either uh, by participating in it or by condoning it like this and so why was he able to see what he'd all that had always been there because he saw the king because he saw the Lord of hosts because he had a comprehension of who God was and God helped him to see himself and then he saw others when I was stationed in Japan I was in the Air Force, and, and uh, it was there that I invited Jesus Christ into my heart and life. I grew up in a home that where our mother took us to church. She didn't send us, and I was in church every Sunday till the time I, I joined the Air Force like this, and, and uh, most of the time it's for the wrong reasons as, as a teenager and things like that. But God got me in a place and position uh, that He came into my heart my life. You see, when I went into the service like that, we never used a curse word in our home or a cuss word, whichever you want to use. I mean, we just didn't use profanity in our home like that. And, uh, and when I got entered uh, the service like that, uh, that was something that was common eight hours a day. And I, I began to pick that up. And even though I was in the Air Force, I could cuss like a sailor. I mean, every other word, you know. I mean, it just, that was just normal and natural. Now, I didn't bring it home because I was taught better than that. I didn't, I didn't talk like that in front of my wife. But you see, when God came into my heart and took up residence, the first thing I noticed when I went back to work, man, these guys talk bad, (laughs) you know. I listened. I, I said a few that first day, and I thought quite a few. But you know, the second day, God just took that from my life. I didn't ask Him to. It was just part of that cleansing process that I had had invited Him into my heart by faith and by repentance. And not only had I seen myself, but folks, I saw the guys around me and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. But I, I was just totally oblivious to it. And I want you to know there's stuff all around you at home and in the workplace and in the marketplace that when you look up and you see God, and He helps you to look in and see yourself, you can no longer be complacent and condone what is all around you. I want you to know it will shock you. I remember when Jesus first came into my heart. I was so biblically illiterate, I couldn't quote John 3, 16, and I grew up in church for 17 years. That's that's sad. Uh, It really is. But the first time that I disobeyed Him, it was though I felt he was going to kill me because I had sinned against the one who died for me and saved me. And I couldn't wait to say, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And oh, that I could have that sensitivity. I wish I could tell you I have that sensitivity today. But you see, I've become complacent just like other people. It's so easy just to kind of, you know, cover it over. Oh, that I wished I had that sensitivity that the moment that I do something and I know that's wrong, that I would say, Father, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse my heart? You see, we need to have a fresh vision of the Lord today that we might be able to see ourselves and that we might be able to see the Lord uh, as He sees us so that we might confess our shortcomings. I want you to notice in verse 6 and 7 the third thing that happens here. Once we have a comprehension of God, and once we confess our sins, here comes the cleansing. Notice what he says. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a live coal which he had taken from the tongues from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is. You see, when we see the Lord in all of His holiness, high and lifted up, and we see ourselves as sinners, and we're willing to confess our sins, He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Isaiah 42, 25 says, I, even I am He that blotteth out the transgressions for what? My own sake, and will not remember thy sins. You see, God does it not just for us but for His own sake so that we can have fellowship with Him. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save us such that be of a contrite spirit. God wants us to have that broken heart, that contrite spirit, that sensitivity to Him. You see a vision of the Lord. We see our condition and the confession of our sin. Then we're able to enjoy the cleansing that is provided through the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. The old song entitled, Nothing But the Blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Have you ever really been dirty? I mean, just nasty.